This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. Subscribe, rate, and review, of course. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles. And Greg, I'm not surprised that we're sitting here at four and six, but I am surprised how we've gotten here. What happened on Sunday? Let's start with the defense. Deshaun Watson picked apart the Patriots. Yeah, Nick. Um, in short, I'm not really sure. I, I, I <laughs> You're stumped. I am. And, and to be honest, uh, this happens from time to time. Not very much usually on the defensive side of the ball, but uh, after watching the defensive game film, uh, I was pretty depressed. I was, um, and and I'll tell you why. It was because the Patriots just came in with a. They didn't look like they came in with a plan. I mean, I really questioned what they worked on all week uh, mm. in practice because really, what I saw was I had them down for like 12, 13 three man rushes. I only had them for three blitzes the whole game. Um, so how much do you have to work on if you're just going to rush three? I didn't see a whole lot of like designer trap coverages and things like that. Like I, I don't understand how you go from, so a week ago, the Patriots come out with what was obviously a great game game plan defensively. Um, they came out with, we're going to we're going to attack the edges hard. We're going to have double double hangers on the outside to basically reinforce the edges that we're going to make Lamar Jackson beat us in a telephone booth. Like he's going to have to do it between the numbers yep. and we're going to make him pass and all that stuff. And so we go from that to this. Like so basically, I'm trying to imagine what Bill Belichick was saying in the defensive meeting last week. Like basically, what? Well, Lamar Jackson couldn't pass last week, but Deshaun Watson is just so good. So we're not going to do anything this week. Like, what? I I just don't understand it. It was just they they looked like they gave up. Um, I thought that the players at times were uninspired by the game plan. Really? And, and the thing is, is if you do the three and four man rushes. And now you're asking your guys in the back end, and we've talked about this before this year about like what you know the 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 need of a pass rush to to help the secondary. Like you can't ask these guys to cover for three, three and a half, sometimes seven seconds. I mean, there was one from I think about the nine yard line. Now you have a compressed red zone that you're defending. No, in that situation, everything's supposed to happen faster. Right. And what happens? Deshaun Watson had like four and a half seconds to find Kiki Kuti in the back of the end zone. Jonathan Jones or whoever has to cover him from this side of the field all the way to the other side. Then he gets to stop and come back. Like, that's not fair. That's not fair to the players on this team. Like, that is not a plan. And it was not a plan on Sunday. I don't know what that was. They look like an aging heavyweight, like, Larry Holmes or Jerry Cooney, who's just looking for one last paycheck. And basically they were hoping to land one punch. They were hoping for a turnover at some point. And they thought just the plan was Deshaun Watson is going to, I don't know, be off once and throw it to us. And that's going to be the difference in the game. That's yeah. no plan. I'm I mean, sorry. I'm, that's pathetic. And it's no plan. I was going to ask, like, so what is it? I mean, 
there has to be a reason why they played the way they played. And you and I obviously don't know that reason. Maybe right. Belichick said to himself, listen, there's no good way to attack this offense. There's no good way to attack Deshaun Watson. So maybe if we try to force him to be patient and make plays extending them, maybe we'll get him to make a mistake or two. But as you said, you go through that first half, Greg, and what's mystifying is, you watch that first half and you're saying, if this continues, the Patriots are not going to be able to stop this offense. Now, I think they did do a slightly better job in the second half of slowing the offense down. But going into that second half, you figured at halftime, Belichick and his minions would say, okay, here's what we got to do. We've got to put more pressure on Deshaun Watson. We've got to throw a couple of blitzes at him. We've got to do something to try to rattle this guy in the pocket. And they really didn't show any of that. And so I, I have to imagine that Belichick said, we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. We might as well just kind of stay back, hope that our secondary plays out of their minds, and maybe Watson will make a mistake. That's, that's the only thing that I could imagine why you would walk into Sunday with that game plan, if you want to call it that. I, I, I feel like Belichick and his staff were almost stuck in the middle. And they didn't really know which way to go. And so they just said, okay, we're going to kind of lay back and let this thing evolve. And hopefully he makes a mistake. And he didn't make a mistake. Watson played out of his mind. And yeah, I mean, it, it looked bad across the board. I will say the one thing, the one silver lining is that two weeks in a row, you've seen this defense do a good job against the run. I think that's the good part of what we've seen. If, if you want to yeah. take anything out of, you know, that game on Sunday, and try to take a positive from it, because let's be honest, it was a crap sandwich. Most of it was awful. But if you're going to take something out of it, at least for the second straight week, they slowed down the run game, which is something you can build on going forward. But overall, it was, I have no idea what was going on. I mean, and, you know, a side topic to that is, you know, I, I can imagine Belichick said in the meeting, you know, with his with his coaches saying like, okay, I think, so it looks like they're not going to have Tunstall, Tunstall. It looks like they're not going to have whoever right tackle. Like we, our guys should be able to, to win. They should right. win occasionally. You know, that should happen. And, you know, that didn't happen. So to me, you know, that part of it is, is an indictment on the players. But here's the thing. Like you have to match up. You have to match up the the, the rush with the coverage. Like I, I can understand you know, doing some of the things that they did, but to ask the guys to play off coverage or zone, like, you know, Watson was just largely unbothered in the game. I mean, even so they come out, they, they force, they basically force the Texans to punt on, they, they, they force them to punt on the first drive. Um, mostly because the Texans were still trying to run the ball a little bit. I mean, uh, Johnson gets stuffed on for one yard on uh, second and four, and uh, they throw incomplete, and then they come back. They basically throw every time. Uh, they ran once for minus two, and then they come out their third possession. They're going down the field again, and then Titus Howard on where they should have picked up the – they gained 17 yards on third and eight, but Titus Howard tackled Winovich or somebody. I forget who yeah. it was, and, and yep. there was a holding call, so they stopped themselves. Like, I, it, it, it just – the way they decided to marry their their rushes and coverage just didn't make any sense. I understand 
probably last year scarred them a bit because uh, I was trying to look for my story that I did. I couldn't find it. But there were there were times last year when they they called a bunch of zero blitzes, like and Watson just roasted them. There were like two or three of them. A couple were for touchdowns, and he just roasted them over the top. And th- there was probably some scarring there. But there's a difference between, you know, and maybe they thought that was going to be the curveball, that they were like, oh, well, they came after you with zero blitzes. That's what we're going to do. Well, the curveball was we're not, we're never going to come after you, and we're going to throw a lot <laughs> yeah. of three-man blitzes at you. Right. I there, understand seems to be that. A middle, there seems to be a middle ground there, right? You don't have to blitz zero, but you can at least send an extra rusher every once in a while. Exactly. And that's, that's sort of another question that I have. Like we understand that the past two years prior to this, like the big thing was the amoeba, amoeba defense. We, you don't know who's rushing. You don't know who's coming from where, like we see very little of that. We see some of that from time to time, but it's very limited. And I understand the guys who ran it in years prior with Van Noy and Collins and Hightower and all that, those guys, repped it, practiced it, did it in games. I understand. But, like, you can't come up with, like, a mini amoeba package. Like, it's not like you have a, you know, you're chock full of dodos up there. I mean, Juwan Bentley's been here. Adrian Phillips is a veteran. He should be able to know what he's doing. Chase Winovich has been here. John Simon has been here. Devin McCourty could come on a blitz. He's been here. Jonathan Jones could come on a blitz. He's been here. Like, I, I, I just don't understand. Like you never ever see them do some sort of designer blitz where you repped it during the week in a big spot. We're going to call this and it just didn't work. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you just got to go all out blitz when, when they don't have Laramie Tunsil, who's one of the best left tackles in the game and their offensive line already sucks. Like, I'm sorry, but at some point in time, you say, we're going to bring the house and we're going to play press man. And we're going to have a spy. You, you ma- match it up where you have a spy for Deshaun Watson. That's what I wanted to see more out of them. I wanted to see uh, a four or five man rush and then uh man to man coverage with a single high safety and uh, a spy for Deshaun Watson. Why yeah. don't you try that once to see what happens? And we just never got that. Yeah. Another, another major issue was the fact that they got roasted in the middle of the field. I mean, these Houston tight ends looked like Kellen Winslow yep. senior and Rob Gronkowski in his prime. I'm, they could not stop Houston attacking the middle of that defense. And one of the guys that we thought was going to be a highlight here was Kyle Duggar. Looking through your pre-show notes, Greg, uh, it, it seems like you were not a big fan of Duggar's performance on Sunday. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was not good. What I saw in coverage from him, and look, I still think I still think Duggar's going to be a very good player for this team. I do think that he has the potential to be their Jamal Adams. And maybe Sunday went to further that because if you were to categorize Jamal Adams, you would say great box player, yeah. great blitzer. Not a coverage one guy. Of the, yeah, but not a coverage guy. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what we got out of Duggar on Sunday. What I saw was, uh, you know, each time on these big plays to the tight ends when he was in there and later was John, Juwan Williams who wanted to push off. Maybe he had an argument, but you know, it's the NFL, like, you know, be ready for some physical contact. Uh, but when Duggar was out there, you know, he's just really flat footed coming off the line. Like his, we know he came from division two, Lenore Ryan. Uh, I understand maybe his, he's a little bit rough around the edges because of that. Maybe he hasn't gotten the type of coaching where he would get at a division one school or what have you. Uh, but 
you know, I figured by this point in time, somebody would have taught him a little bit more about a, a backpedal, you know, a little pitter patter with the feet, like something like he was just basically, he, his feet were just in like cement as the tight end came off the line. And then he was like, then he was going to start moving. Like once they made a move and by that it was over and, you know, and Aikens isn't even that good. I mean, you know, he was a guy I mentioned around the, both Texans tight ends. I mentioned around the trade deadline. Uh, I thought that Fells was a guy who who they might be more willing to trade than Aikens because Aikens has up to, upside, and you saw that today. But uh, you know that sh- that shouldn't happen. You know what happened on Sunday? No. And one more thing I will say is I I thought that the interior of the Houston offensive line got away with a few holds, which which did change some of the play calling and some of the things that happened. Yeah, I thought the Watson touchdown run that's a hold you have to call. They call defensive holding. I mean, that's a touchdown play. So, you know, you wish you had that one back, especially the way the Patriots are playing defense. But that by no means is trying to excuse what happened on Sunday. They just weren't good enough. The game plan wasn't good enough. And they got killed over and over and over and over and over again. And it was a rough day for Belichick. And listening to his post-game press conference, he sounded somewhat defeated. He didn't sound yep. angry. He didn't sound like you know, smarmy or he just sounded like he was defeated. Like he knew what they were going up against. It didn't look like he had any answers. And in the post-game press conference, he looked like a guy that didn't have any answers and not because he didn't want to have the answers, but because he just did not have them. Uh, You know, one other thing, maybe he may one thing on that. Maybe he just, maybe it finally hit home for him. Like, geez, my team really is not that talented. Like, cause that's Maybe. what, that's what you saw on Sunday. And also his reaction was sort of my reaction after watching the defensive film. It was just like, you know, they just sort of like laid there. Like, yeah. you know, I wanted to get a stick and post the pay, poke the <laughs> Patriots body and be like, do something. Like, yeah. are you going to, they just let it happen to them. And it was just, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was pretty, it was pretty depressing. I share his depression. It was very strange. Let's talk about the offense now. You know, going into this podcast, I was thinking, what happened with Damian Harris? The the first Mm -hmm. drive, they run Harris. They have great success with it. Easy touchdown drive to start the game. I understand that uh, Houston made some, some changes and defended the toss play better than they were early in the game. But still, 11 carries for Damian Harris. I just don't know how you do that. You walk into this game and Houston has one of the worst run defenses in the league. And I heard Lou Maloney yesterday uh, talking with Belichick on EEI. And I thought Maloney did a great job trying to, you know, press Belichick on the lack of carries. Belichick got defensive, didn't really have much to say. So I was wondering what in the world was going on. And then I read your pre-show notes and you're telling me you didn't have much of a problem with the offensive game plan. Yeah, uh, let me sort of, you know, tell you where where I'm coming from on that. Um, A couple of things. Um, You know, it's probably because I've been, I learned a lot. When I was with the Houston Texans and Bill O'Brien behind the scenes doing my game plan story, I learned a lot, a lot about, it really opened my eyes about, especially the way the Patriots do things. Because the way the Texans did things is the way the Patriots, they, you know, they just lifted it and brought it to Houston in terms of how they game plan. And 
you know, I saw the way that they game plan where, you know, every opponent is specific and, and every, every play call that they put on that sheet, you know, there's a reason for it. There's a, there's an analytics reason. There's a film reason. There's a matchup reason. They, everything has a reason. Like they, the, when, when Josh McDaniels calls a play, like he has a very good reason for calling that play. And, and it's a lot more than you and I or anybody else is going to know because we don't spend, I mean, those guys, they get there, you know, basically on Monday morning and they're basically there sleeping in their offices until like Thursday night. Um, that's just the way it works. And so I learned a lot where I was just like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to question a lot of game plans from here on out. Maybe individual play calls here and there. Like, why did you think that worked? Including, you know, I, you could take some issue with the, I think the final fourth down play. Um, Cause I, even if that is blocked properly, Outside of Cam taking off, which probably should have been in his mind to begin with, I don't know if anything was going to be open um, on on that fourth and four, and they only needed four yards. So you could certainly uh, make an argument there, and they're individual play calls. But in general, I have a tough time doing it because I've seen the, the, the reason behind everything. So that's A, that's where I come from. B, I went into watching this film, and I wanted to find – reasons to give the ball to Harris more and because you know some people think I'm pro McDaniels or whatnot and so like I try to push against that I'm like you know people you know maybe you are and so I try to sometimes I try to push against that so this was one of these times where I was like I was watching the film looking for reasons to question why they did this and that and Nick to be quite honest with you like I had a hard time finding those spots and yes Maybe there just needs to be a general rule that Damian Harris needs to, and I think he had he had two catches. So he did have 13 touches, or he had two targets, one catch. Um, that he at least needs to have 15 touches a game, at least. Probably you you would probably be more happy with 20. And that's that's valid. Maybe they need to find a way to do that. Yeah. But you know, overall, I thought the offense was really productive in in I mean, if you told if if you told me before the game that the Patriots were going to have nearly 450 yards of total offense, that they were seven of 13 on third downs, that they had 22 first downs, um, you know, let's not even get into where the yardage came from. You know, I think we would have been pretty happy. We would have been like, wow, that's a good day at the office for the Patriots. And, you know, and also I think it gets into – so they had what four first half possessions and they had uh really they had four second half possessions like that's that's not a whole lot like we talked about that last week where the defense needs to get them a few more possessions so i understand the talk about Harris but another a couple things on that the 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 runs to start the game uh those weren't exactly like well blocked and the texans definitely the Texans definitely dictated that they were going to shut down the running game because they they were basically seven, eight in a box like all game long. It was definitely a change for them. I think some of the early issues um, spooked them. I, you know, when they got uh, when they got like three yards on the first play, that shouldn't have been. It should have went for minus yards. There was another run, another Harris run that should have went for minus yards, but Harris just made something out of nothing. And that might go to your point about him touching the ball. Yep. But I think what oh, people. You know, every the conventional wisdom is, oh, the Patriots went right down on the field on the first uh, on the opening possession and went right through the Texans. Why didn't they keep doing that? Well, people 
negate to to say that I think it was 70% of the yards came through the air on that drive. You had 34 yeah. yards to James White, 17 yards to uh, Demir Bird, seven yards to Rex Burkhead. Uh, and then they ran the final uh, – no, they threw an incomplete in the red zone. And then they went 7-2-1, including Burkhead run. And then Harris for the touchdown, which was just an awful defensive play by the Texans. It wasn't anything the, the Patriots being great or imposing there. Well, the Texans just defended that that play like crap. So yeah, that's sort of where I am on the Harris thing. Like I understand it, but if you really watch the game outside of a few plays here and there, and maybe there might be a few, uh, you know, in, in in the between, you know, in the middle of the second quarter where you're like, all right, give him a, you know, sometimes Burkhead got the carries, you know, sometimes White did um, just to change things up to be like, all right, we're not just passing when he's in the game. I I didn't have a huge problem with that. All right, here's my pushback. I've got a lot of pushback on this. Number one, Damian Harris is your best offensive player. Get him the damn ball. Yeah. Like, I I understand what you're saying, Greg. They were having some pretty good, you know, success with throwing the football and this and that. You go into a game, this is my thought process, okay? You go into every game saying to yourself, we've got to get Damian Harris the football at least 20 times. He is the best offensive player that you have, and it hasn't been close over the last month. And you can't sit here and tell me, well, you know, they're loading the box. They're doing this. They're doing that. Well, here's the thing. You know, you have offenses around the league that have a premier running back. Defenses go into every single week saying, we got to stop that guy. And yet, those offenses find ways to get that guy the football. The Patriots decided to sit Damian Harris in the sidelines. Like, to give him 11 carries in, in one catch, it's just not good enough. It's I'm not saying that you got to throw the ball to him 10 times like Alvin Kamara or, you know, run CMC when he's healthy. But when you have a top back, those offenses across the league, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, you, you can go down the line, Derrick Henry. They find ways to get their guy the football. The Patriots didn't do that against a bad run defense. Secondly, I would say that, yeah, they might not have run, you know, as much or as consistent on that first drive than people think, but they did mix it in. And I'm not telling you that you should run the football, you know, every single time, but when you mix it in, you do give the defense some different looks and you test them in different ways. So even though they weren't successful on every single run on that first drive, it was something the defense had to think about. Thirdly, when you go away from Damian Harris and you go away from the run game, what does that do? That speeds up the game. And on the other end of the football, when you're getting smoked by Deshaun Watson, you should be trying to play keep away. And so, yes, you were successful throwing the football and you you had almost 450 yards. And that was Belichick's go to when he was pressed by Maloney saying, oh, well, you know, he threw the football for almost 350 yards, whatever he said. I, I understand that. But what have we said from the very beginning of this season? This offense is going to be defined by bully ball, their commitment to the run game, and making sure that they're running with the right guys in mind. And I did not see that on Sunday. I I saw too much James White running the football. Before the injury, I saw too much Rex Burkhead running the football. I, I saw some, you know, I think it was the second or the third drive. They come out, and they throw three passes in a row. It's three and out. You get nothing out of that drive you've got to try to at least run the football, you know, once or twice early on downs to get that thing going. And I just thought they went away from it. And in the second half, Harris was pretty much invisible and it was a close game. So I just, you know, when you have your best player or arguably one of your best players on offense, 
not touching the football, that's a crime to me. And, you know, I, I, I totally get what you're saying uh, about, you know, McDaniels, Greg, and, you know, he's got reasons for why he calls what he calls and when, when he calls it. Listen, man, you got to get the guy the football. And if it's screen passes, if it's draw plays, if it, whatever you got to do, you got to try to get that guy the football more than 11 carries. And I, I thought that was a crime. I went into this game, game thinking, okay, they'll run the football 40 times. You and I talked about that last week. They'll run it 40 times. They threw it 40 times. Now, they had some success. But in my humble opinion, if you give the football to Damian Harris, good things happen. And okay. even if I mean, you, my, Go ahead. No, I mean, even if he has to make a couple of plays, as you said, bouncing it to the outside, he did that twice early in the game and got something out of nothing. Even if he has to do that, that's the thing about a really good back. Sometimes it's not blocked, but the guy still makes plays. That's why he should get the football more. I mean, you know, yeah, I think he should have gotten a, a few more touches, but I, I just think that, um, you know, number one, with the way the Texans played this game, and this is the way everybody's going to play the, the Patriots, they're going to stack the box and then they're going to come after Newton until they can get it blocked. I mean, when yeah. when when they have a stacked box, you're relying on Ryan Izzo to block, and He's that's awful. not a winning proposition. We saw that yesterday again, and I think personally, I think he should be cut and just figure something else out. The fact that, it's just can, a, I just, can I just say this for a second? The yeah. fact that the Patriots went into this season with no veteran tight end beyond yeah. Ryan Izzo is yep. one of the most ridiculous personnel decisions that Bill Belichick has made in the last few years. I know. I mean, just go sign Delaney Walker. So I think he's still on the street somewhere. I mean, but, you know, it, it just, you know, so you were going to have to do that. Um, you know, I, I, I get it. And, and I think your overall point is right. But here, I'm going to I'm going to put a challenge to you, Nick, before before we do our Thanksgiving week, our second podcast, like I want I want you to go back and watch the game and tell me where you would have given Harris the ball. I mean, they, they, I'm, I, I know there will be a couple circumstances where you say it, but there, there were a lot of times where they did run the ball on first down and they're trying to mix it up and, and this and that. And like the Burkhead thing, I don't have a problem with because I think if you asked anybody coming to this game, you'd be like, Burkhead's been highly productive when he touches the ball. He's been a good player. He's a good change of pace back. Right. I, you know, I get it. The white thing is totally valid, but you know, it's, it, I just think that, I had a, I trust me, I went back in the film looking for instances to be like they should have had Harris here more. I just couldn't find it. So I want to, I, I want to, I want to give you a little bit of homework and, and, you know, cause I love the, this is like one of my dreams that I want to tell a radio host like you or Felger. <laughs> like, all right, you have that opinion. All right, go do your homework and bring back specific examples because it's easy to say it's a, it's a little bit harder to do, but yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I'm in pretty good standing at what I'm saying. And I, I don't have the game on my DVR. I did not have that option. If I can track down an online version of it, maybe I'll, I, I'll I will send you my game pass uh, password okay. and username. And okay. Go uh, I'm just saying when you're running James White on second and 19 and you're, and when, when Rex Burkhead goes out with a knee injury and to me, the way it looked was that they said, okay, well, Burkhead's out. We're going to put James White where Burkhead would be. And Fair. We're, we're going to give him those carries. No, Fair. you're not. You're going to put Damian Harris in the game. Like, you, you don't have to go off the spreadsheet. Like, this goes into what you were saying about, oh, well, you know, the analytics, and they work on this all week. Well, you know what? Sometimes you just got to crinkle it up and throw it away and go, oh, well, Rex Burkhead just got hurt. 
James White is not a very productive runner, even though I love the guy. He's not your running back. He's not the first and second down back. So you know what you say? You say, oh, well, Burkhead got hurt. We're going to give Damian Harris those carries instead of trying to force feed James White, and he gets two yards in a cloud of dust. Like, enough is enough. Like, give me a break. It, it is It is the philosophical approach of this team. Oh, we're going to try to mix it in and running back by committee you gave Damian Harris 22 touches against the Ravens. He ran for more than 100 yards, and you beat that team. And then you go in against Houston, a bad run defense, and Burkhead gets hurt. You go, well, we'll just throw James White in place of Burkhead. No, how about you go with the guy who should be your bell cow? Anyway. Yeah, well, <sighs> I'm, two final things on that. Um, I think this game looks a lot different to a lot of people if, number one, uh, Izzo picks uh, Tyrell, whatever his name is, number 50 to linebacker on that yeah. third down swing pass to James yep. White. That's It's all delayed. You watch – it's yep. all designed for that. You watch on the coach's film, there isn't anybody on that side of the field. It was yeah. a complete miss by Izzo. You, you tweeted a and, gif out or some of that, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. And yeah, I, uh, I, during I the game, because I noticed it during the game, because yeah. I went back and I watched the play, and I was like, wait a minute, that's a weird play to call for that. And then I, then I saw the pick there was supposed to be a pick and it was right there. Yep. It was going to be a legal pick because the yep. linebacker was on the line of scrimmage. All he had to do was, all he had to do was take two steps, turn and just stand there. And he would have done more than he did there where he overshot it, missed them. That, that, that linebacker shouldn't have been there. That was the design of the play. And yep. then also the, uh, uh, well on the, not on the final play, but there was another play. Oh, there was another third down, uh, play. Excuse me. They had a field goal, I think. It must have been in the fourth quarter. Uh, ch -ch -ch -ch. Where is it? Um, I forget. I forget which play it was. But it was when Newton got hit, and there was a front side. He got hit from front, front side pressure. He got sacked. Yep. Oh, that was a first and 10. They were in the red zone. I remember now. It was first and 10, and front side pressure – Newton gets sacked. I think they they run once and then throw and then they kick a field goal. Izzo blocked the wrong player there. Like he didn't he he was supposed to pick up that guy. I mean, if that if that happens, then a lot of things uh a lot of things change for this team. Izzo stinks. Um he does. One 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 quick question because everybody uh wants to know the answer to this every single week. I put on Twitter because I don't know about you, but I'm a little exhausted about this camp stuff. And it seems to me every time the team comes up short, there's going to be a pocket of people that jump to Twitter immediately and say, oh, this one's on cam. He can't throw the ball 10 yards. And listen, I know he short hopped a couple of throws to Nikhil Harry in the fourth quarter. I saw those throws just like everybody else saw those throws. But Greg, you know, if, if you're trying to pin this loss on Cam in any kind of way, you're excusing a lot of other crap that happened. I think you had a lot more, uh, you know, you had a lot more going on than, than Cam on Sunday. And I thought all in all, he wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible. He's pretty much what you expected. And, you know, if you can defend the middle of the field, if you execute better, then we're not even talking about Cam. We're talking about how Cam helped this team win. Yeah, I was I, I I would agree with that. I mean, I do understand some of the talk about like, you know, 
if you have a really good quarterback, then they 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 bail you out. And maybe right. so. What is this? The fifth time they've been in this position, and they're one and four. Yeah. And maybe maybe a better quarterback. You know, a franchise guy maybe takes three out of five. Maybe uh, comes through. Um, but I I didn't have a ton of huge complaints. I mean, I, I about Cam. Um, I thought he got off to a really good start in the second half, and then. You know, down the stretch, I had him for, you know, he threw high to James White. He threw low to Nikhil Harry. He threw yeah. low to Nikhil Harry. He threw yep. wide to Nikhil Harry. And sometimes he's late. He did make some uh, upper-level throws in that game um, in the second half. But generally, I think you're right. Like, I don't – I haven't had a huge problem this year with Cam. And I think that – I think that some of the conversation about Cam – uh, you know, number one, most of it's sour grapes over Brady. They're just bitter. They're looking for somebody to blame. Well, and maybe the new, those people the new watch, guy. Maybe those people watched the game last night and saw Brady throw two horrendous picks on Monday right. Night Football. Yeah, they're they're bitter and they don't want to see. It puts them in a pickle, and you get this a lot with Patriots fans is that they don't, you know, they can't. So if you're not happy, Brady's if you're not happy, Brady's not here. But you don't want to put any blame on Belichick ever. Then what are you supposed to do? You're gonna you're gonna trash the quarterback because instead of saying, "Well, Bill Bill didn't build enough a good enough roster after Brady, he let Brady get away," all of those things. And then I do think Nick, to be quite honest with you, and I see this on my Twitter feed, and I've had to mute some people. I think that some of this camp Twitter uh, criticism around here is racist. Yeah. I really do. I think it's, I think it's nobody says it, and there's no buzzwords, and there's no evidence that you can point to, but I think. I think that I think that that is part of it, and and that bothers me. I wish it was a little bit more blatant. It's not, but I do think that's part of the conversation around here. Nobody, you know, in specific. This is mostly on Twitter that yeah. I hear from people who are just from the get go have been against Cam because he they think he's this and that. Yep. Or which is basically code for he's too black to be the quarterback for their team. And, yeah, I mean. I'm sorry, but I just think that's true. I said this on EEI last week a couple of times. I get the feeling that the opinions on Cam, they're baked in. And for the people yep. that ha have baked those opinions in, before he even stepped on the field, I was taking phone calls on EEI talking about how he's a head case, he's a cancer, he's soft, he sulks, he does this, he does that. I could tell those people until I'm blue in the face. No, listen, I, I've watched a lot of Cam. Like I, I've seen a lot of him play because of my day gig in, in Virginia, right? I've, I've watched him play a heck of a lot more than people in New England have. Doesn't mean I'm better than you. It just means that I focus on some things that you don't really care about. You, you care about the Patriots, and that's what you should care about. But I'm watching a lot of these other games, and I've seen a lot of Cam. And as much as I could tell people, no, you, you – you're taking these snapshots, these polarizing snapshots, and you're trying to base your judgment of him off of a couple of snapshots. If you watch this guy and you listen to him and you listen to his teammates across the board who have loved him, you're, you're, the picture that you're painting of, of Cam Newton could not be any further from the truth. And that started it. And then when you see some of the throws, and again, I'm not telling you the guy is flawless because then you get into this game of, well, Nick, he, he made this throw. And he, I, I understand. that I understand he has warts. He's never been precise from the pocket. He's never going to be that guy that's going to stand back there and make every throw look easy. 
He's never been that guy. He will never be that guy. If you go in with reasonable expectations of Cam Newton, I think for the last month, he's pretty much what you expect him to be. The problem is the rest of this team gives you zero margin for error. And if you need Cam to put a Superman performance on uh, out there, I don't think that's going to happen with the pass game because a Cam doesn't have it right now as much as he had it back then. And he's not going to be able to say, Hey, jump on my back fellas. And B he doesn't have the Johnny's and Joe's to help him get there to have that Superman performance. So I just think it's the easy, lazy narrative to go after the quarterback. And I just see way too much of it. And if you go after Cam, you're excusing the awful defensive game plan. You're excusing McDaniels, in my eyes, not using Harris enough. You're excusing the lack of weapons because of what Belichick did with this offense and not getting a veteran tight end. I mean, you're excusing a lot of things that happened on Sunday that meant more to that game than Cam's performance. And that's ridiculous. Cam was actually one of the good things to me that happened on Sunday. Everything else, most of everything else was a dumpster fire. I mean, Demir Bird, you can point out and say, great. You can point out and say, Cam played well. That's pretty much it. Nikhil Harry got involved a little bit. Zippity-doo. You know, maybe you say that. But overall, you know, to to point at Cam, it's just ridiculous. All right. Well, Uh, Nick, just one thing on that. And it's also, and and again, it goes to people people not wanting to point the finger where it belongs because, you know, for some reason they can't, they can't do both things. They can't, I don't know. I've always been the fan where the type of fan where hell yeah, I'm going to criticize my team. Like it's my team. I've earned the right to criticize them. So I can cheer for them louder than anybody when they do great, you know, whether it's the Red Sox or the, you know, when growing up doing all this stuff or, but you know, when they're crappy, I get to say that as well. And you know, if, if their failure to, point the finger. And this is what I wrote my column off of the game, because basically if you boil it down to last year, the Patriots largely got their doors kicked in down in Houston this year, this year, the Patriots largely got their doors kicked in by Deshaun Watson. They had a little bit more success consistently offensively, but last year was 21 to three at one point, this time it was 21 to 10. Like, you know, Brady was the quarterback last year. He couldn't do Jack crap until the game was out of reach. And they made a, you know, a a comeback at the end, you know, Cam Newton's the quarterback. Now, you know, what does that tell you that basically the same result just happened against the same team in the same place? To me, that tells you just like last year, because this was the beginning of the end, the Houston loss started the, the, the four and five finish to the season. This concludes a four and six start to the season. What does that tell you? This roster is not good enough overall. Stop pointing fingers at Cam Newton and other people for Bill Belichick's obvious failings. This team is not good enough right now. It has little to do with Cam, I'm telling you. And also some of those plays, you know, when Cam gets sacked on that first and 10 play, Brady would get sacked there. You know, that, that outlet to James White where the play is designed, it wouldn't have worked when Brady was not here because Ryan Izzo couldn't block his way out of a paper bag. Like stop whistling by the graveyard and point the finger where it's deserved. Like if you're a true fan, then you're honest about this team yep. and what it is a year, almost a year. Cause last year was like December 1st, almost a year to the date. This team is now what that makes them four and four, uh, eight and 11 since they went to Houston last year, something along those lines. My math might be right, but something along those lines. What does that tell you? 
with two different quarterbacks. It tells you the team is not good enough. Period. End of discussion. Yeah, I love your fan point because, you know, I, I've tried to stop pushing back on this. You know, th there's this fun thing that if you actually give credit to a team, uh, some people in radio and I, I worked with one of Ooh. them. Yeah, yeah. And, and you work with one of them. And I worked with one of them for more than a year on, on 98.5. Uh, Mr. Adam Jones, when, you know, sometimes they'll try to paint you in the corner of, oh, you're a honk, you're a homer, you're a fan, blah, blah, blah. And I've always said this. Yes, I'm a fan. I, I grew up in New England. I was born in New England. I lived in Rhode Island for more than 30 years. Of course yeah. I'm a fan. What? Oh, because I became a, a, a you know, a, a media member because I became a sports talk show host. I was just supposed to just drop, you know, following this team and caring about what they do. But I say what you said. Some of the harshest critics that I've ever met of any team is fans. Fans are critical of their teams. And, you know, I try to play it objective and I try to play it down the middle. When they do something good, I give them credit. When they do something not so good, I criticize them. That's what I've done my entire career and I'll continue to do. Eviscerated Belichick. When Belichick had the onside kick against Buffalo earlier this year, I eviscerated Belichick. Belichick failed to, you know, address the tight end position correctly. I will eviscerate him for that. Same thing with Danny Ainge and the Celtics when they didn't go out at the trade deadline and, and, and give that team some bench help. They deserve the criticism. So I'm just, I'm so tired of, you know, the labeling and the laziness. And, and we, we've got some of that going on and it's only getting worse more and more yeah. through social media. Like, we, we've got to look at this team and just say what it is. And if you think Cam is the biggest issue with this team, you're just not paying attention. Before we get to the question of the day, Greg, um, we're running a little long on this one, but I think it's well worth it. Yeah. I think it's been good enough. Uh, but I do want to get your thoughts on Brady because it, it marries perfectly with this Cam situation. You know, if you think Tom Brady would be the knight in shining armor with this offense right now, uh, he's a guy that has a ton of weapons. He's got a fantasy football roster down in Tampa, and they're six and four, and they're staring straight at maybe a ten and six season, which would be underwhelming. Now, they can obviously put it together. They can, you know, they can figure this offense out. I think they're running too much of Arian stuff. Uh, I think Brady has completed one of his last twenty passes or nineteen passes, uh, twenty yards down the field, and they keep doing the, you know, no risk it, no biscuit, or whatever the hell that Arian says. I think they got to get away from that a little bit. And I, I reserve judgment here ultimately, because I do think they could end up improving and, and, you know, maybe winning a game or two in the playoffs. But right now, right now, as we look at Tampa Bay and we look at Brady, he has been underwhelming. That team has been underwhelming. Your thoughts on what you've been seeing. Um, okay. Because this one, this will probably be real quick because I didn't get to watch a ton of last night's game. I did okay. see some of it. I saw like the final drive. Um, I saw last couple minutes and I did see some of the highlights that they spliced in like the earlier interception where I think Brady got hit on the play. And so that sort of turned it. Uh, but both of that, both of the interceptions were similar in that it was against too deep coverage, which was uh, strange for Brady. But I'll just say in general, from what I've seen, first of all, I think it's funny that, you know, everybody wanted him to get weapons here and you know he has the weapons down there and they're not really doing anything but I do think the overall thing is uh and I think this was true of Brady when he was here um which he did not like by the way he pushed back against this goes back to 
you know, and, and I got criticized for it, but I will hundred percent stand by it. But that 2008 towards the, uh, the end of that 2018 season, after that loss in Pittsburgh, when the Patriots tilted the offense to the running game, Brady did not like it and mentally checked out some, I don't know how much, but that that's the words that people use to me that he checked out. Yes. They went on to win the super bowl. That doesn't mean that Brady didn't check out for a certain point in time. Um, and then they, you know, they caught lightning in a bottle in Kansas City and went to the Super Bowl and surprised everybody and and you know won the Super Bowl. But that's the way Brady has to Brady has to play that way. Brady Brady needs a running game. The the Tampa Bay Bucks have been at their best when they've basically been a run oriented team and the and the the passing game comes off that play action and all that stuff. They do they cannot get out there shotgun empty, uh, try to throw the ball all over the park. I don't care who they're playing. It doesn't work. That does not work for Brady anymore. It doesn't work for that team. That's what I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think they've had Brady uh, under the center as much as they should have him under the center. Uh, it's clear that when they use two tight ends and he throws to his tight ends, he's the most comfortable. I do think they're trying to force feed the football to Antonio Brown a little bit too much and not not throwing the football enough to Chris Godwin. I think yep. that's a problem. And again, Arians with this shotgun offense, have Brady drop back and chuck it downfield. I just, I don't think that is the most effective that Brady is going to be in that kind of system with that kind of approach. And last night uh, he threw two deplorable interceptions and you know, it, it's, they're not playing well. And, and when you, they're not playing well against good teams. And I, I tweeted this out late last night. Uh, the teams that they've beaten so far, Tampa, they're the combined record of the teams that they've beat is 27 and 34. The combined record of teams they've lost to is 20 and 10. If you're the Buccaneers, you brought in Brady, you brought in the greatest of all time, which we all agree with, right? You brought in the goat. You brought in the goat to beat the New Orleans Saints. You you brought in the goat to beat the Rams. You know, you brought in the goat to do just enough against that Chicago defense. That's why you brought him in and he hasn't won those games yet. He might turn this around and, you know, I would never bet against Brady because of what he's, what he's done in the past. But right now, up to this point in the season, they've been underwhelming and they've fallen short. And that includes Brady in a big way. So it'll be interesting to see if, if my theory of Brady's better with Belichick, Belichick's better with Brady, which is unpopular because, Oh, you got to pick a side in sports radio. We'll see how that plays out. Let's get to the uh, bostonsportsjournal.com member question of the day. Check them out over at BSJ. 11 cents a day on their annual plan. Not only do you get top-notch analysis of all the Boston Pro Sports, but if you're Patriots junkie, which you are, a membership at BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis Bedard does on the coach's film and direct access to him in weekly chats. And you can always get to him on Twitter. You can get to me as well uh, at Nick C Radio if you're wondering. Most of you, if not all of you, already have Greg's. Uh, Twitter handle, and you follow him. Uh, this one's from Tim P. Why did we have to lose Froholt, especially, and Derek Rivers? And I found this interesting because just last week you mentioned Derek Rivers, and you were wondering yep. why he wasn't playing a little bit more. Well, he's gone. Yeah, I didn't understand this, that, uh, you know, all of a sudden they had to make some roster moves. Well, I, actually, that's going to be one of my main points. Like, they – they activated Sony Michelle to the active roster to make him inactive for this game. Like, what was the point? They did not, yeah. <clears throat> as far as I know, 
They did not need to do that. They could have waited another week and elevated him. And look at that. It would have worked out nicely because Rex Burkhead has to go on injured reserve. Yep. And you have Sony Michelle coming off injured reserve. So that would have worked and would have saved you a fourth round pick in Froholtz, who I thought when he got in in the Denver game, he had to play a lot against Denver. I thought he played really well. He struggled a little bit when he got in um, a, a subsequent game. But I thought he was far from a lost cause. I mean, look. I think it got to the point where certainly Awenu uh, passed him and probably Justin Heron, two rookies. So they're like, all right, what's the point? Because uh, we'll just draft another guard or whatever and develop them. But I thought he had some value. I thought, you know, I thought he had some potential. I thought he had a good camp. Uh, Rivers is puzzling. And, and I find it also ironic that on a game where they had zero pass rush, they released uh, a guy they drafted who was their top overall pick, mind you, in 2017, albeit in the third round, their first pick who was uh, drafted to be a pass rusher and right before a game where they they do, they do lose largely because they couldn't find a pass rush, Derek Rivers got released. I just didn't understand uh, either move. Uh, you know, did we really need to activate Dante Moncrief for this game? Um, he couldn't have stayed <laughs> on practice squad. You couldn't have kept those guys. I mean, hey, really, we needed that. Catch, Greg. He made the one catch. I mean, he does look fast. The guy's always had wheels, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I will say I like the Jordan Thomas kid, the tight end. I thought he showed some promise. And thank God, because I can't watch Ryan Izzo anymore. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, I didn't understand it. They didn't need to do – they didn't need to activate Sony Michelle. They could have found another, uh, you know, roster move to keep rivers at least for another week. I, I just, it was strange, but look, it's another, it's just another nail in the, in the Belichick can't draft column, you know, you know, not as a whole, obviously he can draft a bit, but that he struggled in recent years. These are two glowing examples, the third round pick and a fourth round pick. And both guys basically did Jack squat when they were here. Yeah. Not good against the Texans. Uh, some personnel moves that left us scratching our heads. And, of course, I, I don't think it's going to get much easier with Kyler Murray on the docket Ooh, no. and, the, and the Cardinals coming to town. They, 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 might, they might rush one guy this week. <laughs> <laughs> if they did that against Watson, they're uh, going to go with the no pass rush this week. Everybody enjoy your Thanksgiving. Happy Turkey Day. Gobble, gobble. Uh, we'll be back. A little bit later in the week with, with a uh, a mailbag version of the yep. podcast. And we'll also touch on the Cardinals game a little bit. Uh, he's Greg Bedard. I'm Nick Cattles. Until next time, it's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with guest Nick Cattles.